On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. We didn't really have intentions when we went in. We had like these ideas that we wanted to, to try and pursue. The only thing that we really went in saying was that we weren't going to second-guess ourselves on this record at all. That uh, if we liked an idea, we weren't going to like worry that it sounded too different than what people were used to hearing from us. We weren't going to worry that it sounded too strange or whatever. We really wanted to try and push ourselves to do different things and try these different ideas. And welcome to No Filler, the music podcast dedicated to sharing the often overlooked hidden gems that fill the space between the singles on our favorite records. My name is Quentin. I've got my brother Travis with me, as always. And this is our 182nd episode, my friend. So it's time to jam out to some Blink-182. What better time than now, dude? This is the only episode where we could say, you know what? It's time to talk about Blink-182, even though we've done an episode on them in the past. I don't know when we would have circled back to them, dude. Right. But this is a good a good reason to do so. And uh, this was not our idea. We can't take credit for this stroke of genius. All credit goes to friend of the pod, Ronnie, who we've talked about before. Uh, we were talking with her one day, and she was like, episode 182 is coming. I think we were just trying to figure out like how many episodes we've done. She's like, why don't you guys talk about Blink-22? And we're like, man, no doy. Of course. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what's even better, even though we'll get into this, because there's some... There's a story behind this, but a lot of people say that this is the self-titled record that we're talking about. Technically, it's not a self-titled. It actually has no title, but this is the, you know, for all intents and purposes, this is a self-titled Blink-182 record, Um, and that's what we're going to talk about today. This is kind of like peak Blink-182, in my opinion. I think so, too. In a lot of people's opinion, I think, because, you know, they stretched themselves, uh, like they were saying in that intro, they... They went into this record wanting to to essentially throw out the the blink formula, you know, that they've been relying on in the past and just, you know, experimenting and, and not having any sort of like plans even as to how they were going to approach the record. They didn't even have all the songs written. Yeah. Yeah. They went into it. And then nine months later, they were, they were doing something completely different because they didn't have any set like agenda or theme or whatever. And that's why this record is so great because they... They, they showcase themselves as as musicians, right? Because, like, you know, if you're a pop-punk band like Blink was, song structures are pretty basic. Uh, you know, power chords galore, you know? Right. And there's plenty of power chords on this record. Sure there are. But um, they stretched themselves um, and did a lot of really interesting and cool things. And we're going to cover, I think, two of the more, like, standout um, tracks on the record. The ones that I always remember because of how, like, how experimental they were and how different they were from what you knew before this record, as as to what and who Blink One Eight Two was. Like, you know, they they challenged those um, notions on this record for sure. Yeah. So there's this great little forty two minute documentary on MTV called MTV Album Launch. Uh, basically, they just had a guy with a camera. Just hanging out with Blink for the entire recording process. Can we just stop and appreciate how this would never happen on MTV nowadays, right? Anymore. Yeah, you're right, dude. Yeah, it's crazy that that uh, MTV essentially had a documentary crew follow a punk rock band while they were recording their latest record. You know, that's that's really cool. That's, you know, 2003, MTV was completely different than it was now, you know, before all the reality shows came on. I feel like 2003 was like the beginning of the end for MTV too, or for MTV. I feel like that's when those uh, reality shows started cropping up. Yeah. Really cool doc. I didn't actually watch the entire documentary. I got up until they finished the album. Um, but I learned a lot, man. And um, they're pretty adamant about, about making sure that, you know, this is not a self-titled. It's It has no title. It's untitled. Reason being, I'm going to quote uh, Tom DeLonge here. Uh, He says, the worst thing 
in the world that could happen is people think we are trying to make some big, bold statement. That's why we try to say it is not self-titled. It is just untitled. We didn't want to label it with anything. We didn't want to label it with a joke title that people might expect. We didn't want to label it with some serious phrase that the whole record would have to somehow relate to. We left it untitled so it would speak for itself. And man, does it speak for itself, dude. What an album. Yeah, it definitely does that. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I think they're saying that, like, you know, self-titled, that's just kind of, like, pretentious. Like, Yeah, but we've talked about, um, we've talked about how, or at least with a couple of bands, I think, we've, we've, we've talked about how a self-titled record is a good way to, if it's not their first record, it's a good way to, like, pivot and, like, change and reintroduce yourself, you know? And it's a very good uh, indication that that album's going to be different, and it's yeah. going to be a standout record. Like I, you know, we're thinking about Phantom Planet self-titled, which to me, yeah, hands down their best record. And we're talking about um, Mr. Twin Sister. Yeah. Now, of course, they re- they renamed the band. They went from Twin Sister to Mr. Twin Sister, so they were kind of reintroducing themselves. But yeah. Um, I like I like the notion of it not having a title either. I think that's cool as well. Because, you know, maybe they don't want to say Blink-22, this is us now, this is our record now. Because that almost negates what they did in the past, right? If they try to go that route. Yeah. And so a lot of things had to happen in their career up to this point for this album to even have happened in the first place. Um, the way that it did, the way that they were able to approach it. So Mark is quoted here, and I'm just all over the place with these quotes, but these are all from around 2003. Mark says here, when we first started out, obviously we couldn't afford studio time, so we had to have everything written and planned out before we went into the studio. We did that for Cheshire Cat, for Dude Ranch, for pretty much all of Enema of the State, and Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. All of their albums in the past, they went into the studio with everything planned out, ready to go. Okay, so this really was a drastic change of how they approached making music together. Yeah. And they also rented out, they're basically living in a super fancy, like, mansion. It was converted into a home studio. But, you know, so they were living where they were recording. So MTV was able to do an episode of MTV Cribs while they were doing this, basically, is what you're saying. Did they really? No, no, no. I'm just saying. Oh. (laughs) MTV's used to walking around mansions, right? Right. I remember seeing um, Travis Barker's MTV Cribs episode. Um, Didn't he have a a reality show? Yes, I think he did. Yeah, isn't that funny? That that's that's exactly what we were talking about. Like this was really cool that MTV did this, but after that, it just went to nothing but reality shows. And so after Blink disbands, here's Travis with the MTV reality show. You know what I mean? It's kind of funny. Yeah, it's like, well, I guess I can make a little extra money. Yeah, exactly. This way, because I know the MTV will have me. Exactly. <laughs> So there's way more to get into uh, with the recording process and all that. Do you want to jump right into a song, dude? Yeah, man. Let's do it. Now, what is the first track? Because um, It's going to be obvious. It's going to be obvious. I mean, it's not going to be obvious which one we pick, but <laughs> it's going to be obvious. So we're, we're going to play six tracks, actually. It's technically kind of five songs, but it's six tracks on the record. So this one's going to be music heavy, but... Um, we couldn't narrow down the list to like four tracks. So yeah. So we, we wanted to make sure that we showcased, you know, the, the wide range in sounds and, and like you said, Jeff, how much they really stretched themselves and, you know, just kind of tried to break out of that pop punk box that they, uh, like, I don't even think they meant to be put into that box, but they got put in that box because they're goofy dudes. You know, I was going to say, I mean, it's not, it shouldn't be a surprise that they got put in that box. I mean, when you think about, the antics that they would do and the music videos that they that they did. If that was their decision, maybe it wasn't. But like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they can be like, how did we end up in this box? You know what I mean? Like, they, it's, <laughs> it's pretty clear where else would they fit, right? But yeah, this is what I like about this record so much is that it's Blink-22 uh, trying to break outside of like the mold that, that everybody had put them in, you know? Well, yeah. You know what, dude? Before we play the first track, I think we're we're teeing ourselves up nicely to play this clip I, I wanted to play from from this documentary. It that it sums it up really nice, dude. What we're what we're talking about here. So here's Tom, uh, just kind of talking about you know how they've kind of evolved and how they're trying to move past the dick jokes. You know what I mean? All right, here we go. 
When we first had our first amount of success, things kind of spun out of control and we didn't have control of anything and people would run with stuff. We would show up places and see how we're portrayed and it wasn't the way we wanted to be, you know, but we didn't have control over it. I think that on this record, we've really wanted to keep everything very close to us because this record is so personal to, to all three of us that we really wanted to be involved with every single aspect of it, from the enhanced CD stuff to the songs to the photographs that we have. Everything about our band now, I just feel, is really legitimately us. I love the look of this picture. I think you look cool in it. I love this, dude. Uh, th like, I didn't know this about, about the Untitled record. They had their hands in every single decision. That says a lot, dude, because everything about this album, it's, you know, it's, there's no like funny album title. Yeah. I think that lyrically it's a little bit more serious too. It's more dark and mature. Yeah. yeah. Well, the funny thing is like, I guess if you read between the lines there, right, probably their record label had a lot to do with the way that they were being portrayed or presented you know what I mean? Because that's what they're saying. They're, they're saying uh, we didn't have control over it. They kept saying that. What's interesting about this time, though, like, and how how huge MTV was on, like, shaping uh, what, what was uh, what was popular, right? Because who did they, who were they up against, right? They were up against the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC videos. They were up against Korn, right? And so it makes sense that, like, a label is going to try to make them stand out as you know in left field against all these other very distinctly uh packaged groups you know what i mean and it's so obvious that for for the, a mega pop punk band of course that's the route they're gonna take you yeah know, as as like the label and the and their managers and, and plus they're singing about they're, they're singing about ejaculating into a sock and like <laughs> you know all that kind of stuff yeah. so yeah i mean you know, it fit the brand for sure. All right, let's listen to a song, man. Let's jump into it. All right, here we go. Track two. This song is called Obvious. pop punk song dude it, it is, is but it still is but it uh it's got the bones but it's it's like it's a it's a refined pop punk song you know yeah and you know it's dude it's funny to say it to to use a word like refined when talking about a blink 182 song i know but i mean it makes but it's true sense. yeah i mean <laughs> it's true i think that's what everybody liked about this record is that it's like blink matured you know what i mean it's blink with pretty much unlimited money unlimited studio time yeah at this point they were able to just take their time and another thing that that's really cool so travis apparently used to get all the drum stuff recorded and just bounce and he'd be done with with the process oh man okay. because you know think about it they used to go in with everything already written and done yeah, yeah, sure. So he hung around, and he and so and he a was lot a part of, of the process these, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, which is cool to think about. Yeah, um, apparently he shows up on this track. He's the guy in the background that's saying "yeah" over and over again. 
which is cool. But yeah, if he bounced before the vocal tracks were laid, he was never able to be on the record in that way in the past. It also proves how how important he is as a, as a member of the band because, um, and you can you can see it in the documentary. He he helps flesh out riffs, you know, guitar riff ideas, and he, I mean that kind of makes you sad a little bit because like how much, how many awesome creative tweaks and, and and decisions and stuff would he have made to make Enemy of the State better than it was? Or yeah, but that's the thing though they they just. They weren't able to do that back then. He could have stuck around, man. He didn't have to bounce after the drum tracks were laid. But they went into that studio and, you know, boom, boom, boom. We got to get this done. Yeah, yeah, you know? sure. So it didn't matter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's cool, man. That's really cool. And there's a, there's a really cool um, shot in the documentary where, um, like, Tom's trying to figure out this guitar riff. And Travis is helping him through it in a way that, like, he's trying to help him, like, like he's he starts like playing the drums on just with his hands, you know, playing the beat on Tom's legs so that Tom could, you know, feel the the rhythm that Travis had in mind while he's fleshing out this guitar riff to, to kind of like morph it a little bit to go along with the beat. It's really it's a really cool moment. And I love that kind of stuff, dude. I love that kind of like creativity, like teamwork. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Lyrically, you know, it, it does sound like a breakup type of song again you know so in this particular song it's not that much of a departure from what they used to sing about what you're not going to get on this record though is songs about dysentery you know what i mean or boners you know what i mean (laughs) which again it's kind of like this is them a little bit more refined and and mature you know they wanted to it sounds like they were tired of being portrayed as like you know the goofy uh you know chuckleheads or whatever so yeah and that's you know take a look at the album art and the and the cd you know the insert the inlays all none of that's in there you know yeah yeah well here's one quote from from travis uh about this song he says obvious was a really dark song on the album we were thinking failure meets led zeppelin meets the police interesting yeah that's really john bonham feeling yeah so I brought a failure song to one of our What You Heard episodes. Um, it was called Another Space Song. Just throwing that out there. But yeah, uh, it's not your typical um, uh, power chord type structure on this song, right? So that's one thing that's that's a little bit different. And I think that that's probably what they were alluding to because um, there's nothing Zeppelin about the guitar riff and stuff, but maybe like a failure type band. I could see that guitar riff being maybe a nod to failure. So yeah, I think it's cool that they went into the studio with just ideas for songs and they hashed it all out and, you know, threw ideas around. They spent like three hours one morning, like first thing they wake up and they spend three hours uh, experimenting with, with different guitars, with different amps, you know, let's, let's see how this guitar sounds through this amp. Three hours they did that and they didn't even press record one like you know yeah. like that kind of yeah. stuff you'll spend you'll spend three hours just agonizing over what guitar to use and what amp to to feed it through that kind of stuff yeah you don't you don't get that as a new band you know yeah right yeah yeah that's interesting uh all right so q our next track if i remember correctly is violence is that right yes i wanted to play this one because for multiple reasons, dude. This is one of my favorites on the album. I, I think the intro is really cool, the way they draw the intro out. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, like, in the background, you'll hear kind of these interesting um, these interesting elements that kind of contribute to the, the, the beat a little bit. Really weird stuff going on in the background during the, the verse of this song. Yeah. But, yeah, everything about this song is cool. And, and like, it's a, almost a complete 180 from what you're going to hear on Enema of the State, you know? Yeah, yeah. All right, let's tune it up here. So this is uh this is violence.
Six bottles went down the drain One hour's a waste of time I'd ask if you feel the same Still pushing that chance to try Your breath in this cool room chill Long hair that blows side to side You speak and make time stand still And each time you walk right on by Let's talk about the, like you said, during the verse, it sounds like it's Mark in the background and he's kind of like almost like spoken word yeah. saying the saying the words, which is cool. Really cool. Um, but yeah, it, it's about, so I'm looking at the liner notes here. It's about, I'll actually, I'll just say what, uh, what Tom said here. I thought of one thing in my head, a scenario at a bar late at night when a pretty female walks into the building during a fast-paced, hardcore dance song. I thought of every guy in that room looking at her and lusting after her, each one not paying attention to any detail present except her. So violence in this song is supposed to be like a metaphor, apparently, of like this woman that he's talking about uh, breaking all of these guys' hearts because, you know, she just walks right on by or whatever. (laughs) Kind of corny, um, cheesy. But just a smidge, yeah, a little bit. Cheesy lyrics or not, dude? Like, what a what a cool song. Yeah, I love the way that the. It almost sounds like he's. Um, it's not like your typical um, drum uh, snare or something like that in the very beginning, and in, in the intro, he's hitting. He definitely switches up his snares all the it's time. Something, yeah. Maybe he has the snares off or something. We haven't even really do. Do we need to name off the roster or just you know what? If you're listening to this episode. You're a Blink fan. Even if you're not a Blink fan, you know the members of Blink-182. <laughs> yeah. And uh, honestly, everybody knows who Travis Barker is nowadays. The guy oh, for sure. has had a, a um, quite the uh, Phoenix moment, I think. You know, he's he, he's everywhere. Like, you know, he's he's everywhere. But anyway, everybody knows. But if you don't, really quickly, Mark is the bass player. Tom is the guitar player. Travis is the drummer. Mark and Tom sing. They take They, they trade singing. That's it. That's all you got to know. That's all you got to know. And so I want to play the second half of this song because I love the way that it ends. It's a little like, I don't know, bridge. <laughs> it's a bridge. Yeah, it's a bridge. It's a bridge. Uh, I like the way the way it changes up a little bit here. So here is clip two from Violence. what i like so much about this album is that the songs are still like simple in you know it's still just a pop punk album you know like it's very repetitive right he's he's repeating the lines over and over yeah it same with obvious the the first song we played but then they take it and and just take all these left turns and do things you're just not gonna ever hear on a pop punk album yeah so what here's here's a quote from mark about that left turn that you're talking about q he says this song is a pairing of seemingly incompatible musical styles i love the bridge it takes the listener to such a different place very smooth and beautiful so yeah like he basically you know cuts the distortion which is not 
you know, too unlikely, uh, or that's not all that different from some of the stuff they did on their other records. They they would do sort of those clean guitar riffs. Think about Adam's song, man. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, dude. I was just thinking about Adam's song again. It's 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 what you're used to with Plink, but like you know, refined a little bit. I'm just gonna keep saying that. Well, let's talk about Jerry Finn a little bit, the producer. Um, so he's recorded a lot of stuff with these guys, so he's no stranger to the band. They refer to him as the fourth member. <laughs> it's, it's just like uh, George Martin. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, that happens a lot with producers. Um, but, dude, this guy has produced for Sum 41, Green Day, AFI, Newfound Glory. So this was his This was his time, man. You know? Yeah, dude. Yeah, but, you know, like before I... I did research into the album i kind of just assumed that for one thing i did not picture them recording this in a house you know like sure it's a mansion but it's not your music studio uh you know with sound booths and everything like it's all kind of open now i will say that they did not actually complete the album in this uh, mansion apparently they got kicked out i don't know how much of that is right. worded in a way for the press what kind of antics did they get up to Q? right right um but they no, they they uh reached an end to their uh their welcome but anyways i always I just imagined it in my head as as an album that was you know produced by a handful of people you know with like lots of people's hands involved i don't know i, I should have given them more credit dude you know the yeah. three the three boys i just yeah um i wonder how much of these really unique um you know transitions and and effects and everything i wonder how much of that was jerry finn's ideas you know mm-hmm. or how much of it was was theirs but yeah you'll never know well what's cool is also that jerry finn has been with them since uh i think he did i think he started on enema of the state for them that's another thing i assumed maybe they brought in a new producer or something yeah uh but no he's he's been with them since Actually, I think Take Off Your Pants was the first one he did for them. And I bet you he was just as excited to to change things up a bit. You know what I mean? Especially if all he does, all he's doing back then is pop punk bands. You know what I mean? He did All Killer, No Filler. Hey, now. No Filler. <laughs> there you go. Uh, he also did Boxcar Racers, self Okay, yeah, cool. So, yeah. Yeah, this is his wheelhouse. Yeah, and, and you know, they're, his, they're, they're all good buddies. Yeah. Um, anyways, so, I, yeah. Love that song. Uh, we're actually going straight into the next track, dude. It's next on the record, and this is this is like the the climax. Yeah, this is something really unique and original. Um, the story behind this track. It's Mark's favorite Blink One Eighty Two song that they've ever done, probably because of how personal it is to him. Uh, so the story is, and we're gonna play. So this is what I was saying earlier when I said we're playing six tracks, but technically five because we're going to play the interlude which is listed as a separate track on the record not a song though not a song but we're going to play the interlude um and that's going to play us into the song itself so we're talking about stockholm syndrome so the story behind at least this interlude is that um you're going to hear uh, an actor her name is joanne tally or, or thally she's going to be reading uh this letter and so, or it, I think it's made up of uh, multiple letters. And these are letters that Mark's grandfather wrote to his grandmother during World War II. And when you hear the lyrics, I mean, I shouldn't say lyrics. When you hear these letters read, it's like- So beautiful, dude. Poetic and like, oh, yeah, it's just- It's gut punch. And, and the piano that plays in the background too. Yeah. It's played in reverse in some instances and stuff. It's really cool stuff that they did. So anyway, let's listen to this interlude first. So again, this is uh, the Stockholm Syndrome. My dearest, I've missed you very, very much since that last night we were together. And we'll hold that night especially in my memories for years to come. I've been turning it over and over in my mind lately. I've read your letter through at least four times. And we'll probably read it more times before I'm through. I've been sitting here, looking at your picture, and getting more homesick every minute. I've wanted that picture more than anything else I know of, except, of course, you yourself. I keep thinking of you, darling. I keep wishing I could be home with you. 
worst possible way so I can come home to see you, but things don't look so good on that subject. But this war has spoiled a lot of things for everyone, I guess. I've never been so lonesome in my life as I am right now. crazy i mean it's hard to it's upsetting as well it's a little upsetting yeah it's it's hard it's especially during world war ii right yeah dude there is no connection with the outside world you know nowadays you know you can do skype calls as a as a a soldier right to your family you know i mean you can talk on the phone with them you can probably have access to email maybe depending on where you are like if you if you're at the base or something like that and, and there's an internet connection he was probably protecting that photo and that letter that she sent him with all his fucking heart dude when you hear these words from from this guy just talking about how like uh you know the notion of just being so homesick right you're off world war ii for crying out loud you know what i mean yeah the the stuff that these guys were seeing the level of violence and and he's just looking at this picture of I, I don't know if they were married at that point or not but um it's just you can't even you can't even get your mind around it you know and to to think to 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 turn this to throw this on the record it's it's brilliant you know what i mean what a great decision and very personal like it's a, this is mark's granddad writing to his grandmother i mean it's it's so yeah. personal it's very cool that that he has these letters you know yeah it's such a connection to have you know to be able to read read those right it's really cool but anyway so that's the interlude and then we get into the song and the song starts off very strong i love the drums and the guitar and stuff that that, that start yeah i'm gonna fade us in um at the end of the interlude okay yeah so we can hear the transition all right so here's track six stockholm syndrome such a killer track man it's so good yeah dude i can see why this is mark's uh, favorite record or favorite song probably one of my favorite songs too we mentioned this in when we covered enema of the state but you and i are huge blink fans dude like when when enema of the state came out i picked up a pair of drumsticks and started playing drums because of travis barker yeah that's true i think the same goes for me for guitar picking up the guitar yeah um and you know blink 
not for the drums at least, but for the guitar, it's a pretty, uh, it's a good band to, to, to pick up a guitar and start, uh, picking around with, because like I said, it's power chords, right? It's, it's pretty straightforward. I will say like, what's my age again, is kind of a hard song to play. Um, but no, I mean, it's easy to, to start with punk, you know, uh, anybody can pick up a guitar and play some power chords and start to, to sound like your, your favorite punk band, you know? Dude, even if I had another two lifetimes worth of practice, I, <laughs> there's no other Travis, no one can ever be as good as Travis Barker. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's one of the best drummers of all time. I, I played very simple versions of his beats yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I was learning how to play. But um, I think it's really cool that, uh, that our generation, if you liked Blink-22, you may not have realized it at the time, but you were hearing one of the greatest drummers ever, especially out of that uh, era, uh, at least. Um, For sure, dude. For sure. So I and I could look up the lyrics, but I don't have them in front of me. Is Stockholm Syndrome about his granddad? I don't think so. I think the song itself is about something completely different. Uh, the reason I say that is because Mark kind of says it explicitly that way. He says, the beginning of the song, and he's referring to the interlude, has letters that my grandfather wrote to my grandmother in World War II. The song itself is about paranoia. Being afraid of the outside world convinced that people can hear your thoughts so i don't i'm i i I can't really connect those two things you know what i mean yeah yeah but you could read into some of these lyrics as maybe like um maybe thoughts that could be running through a soldier's head maybe but i i yeah because like i like some of and let me just step back and say this song is the perfect example of how well tom and mark's uh vocals work with each other like they're so different too yeah and that's that's what's made blink so great is that they have very different singing styles and very different voices too and in this song they literally are going back and forth in that chorus right yeah. i think it's cool that they start with the chorus and then that transition that happens um almost sounds like a some of the emo bands that were out at that time like the stuff that jimmy world was doing and stuff like that i feel like that guitar riff was definitely kind of an emo thing. Even the way that, even the pre-chorus when Mark's like, uh, uh, it's hard to say the lyrics, but there's a, there's a, a, right before they go back to the chorus, there's this moment that sounds very, very emo, two th- early 2000s era emo. So yeah, this is them stretching themselves a little bit, right? Yeah. For sure. I mean, this song is a huge experiment, um, especially from the interlude with the letters to this, right? But you still get that, in the, in the bridge, you still get that, chugging like power chord you know right that's what's cool about it it's still there right exactly what's next dude easy target easy target yeah so we're gonna we're gonna spread it out a little bit here because the next one that i think has always stood out to me is the last one that we're gonna play but easy target is uh is a good one and then that actually i think here's the thing we're gonna have to do similar to what we did between these two tracks we're gonna have to play the end of easy target and let it transition into the next track because they have this really cool transition that happens between the two tracks but anyway yeah so let's do easy target um i like how they still stuck to the really short song format most of these tracks are still like two and a half minutes yeah two and a half minutes some of them are under two minutes um anyway all right so yeah this next track here is called easy target
So here's the interesting thing. This song and the one we're playing after it are, are th- this is why they transition between themselves. They're about the same thing. They're both about the same exact uh, story. So Easy Target is based on a story from Jerry Finn, the producer, from his middle school years. So he was in love with this girl. Her name was Holly, and she she's named in the song. Uh, who invite? Listen to this. It's like this is like Carrie. You know the movie Carrie, right? Yeah, yeah. The yeah. horror movie. So Holly, she invited him over, only to have her and her friend drench him with a hose when he showed up. What the fuck, man? He rode home on his bicycle, soaking wet, dude. So um, that's why, if you look at the lyrics, um, Southern California's breeding mommy's little monster. She's a little monster. Holly's looking dry, looking for an easy target. Damn, dude. So this poor guy, uh, the producer, I mean, he got the last laugh, obviously. Like, what the hell's Holly doing right now, right? You know what's great about that, dude? I'm thinking about this now. Uh, since they're, you know, they, they go into the studio without even all the songs written. Mm-hmm. Probably like in, in downtime, they're just sitting around, you know, sharing stories and stuff. Jerry probably told them about this. And they're like, I'm going to write a song about that, man. Fuck Holly. Let's call her out. Let's write a song about it. Exactly. Um, anyway. This next song, all of this, uh, like I said, it, it's a continuation of the story of him getting humiliated by this girl, Holly, right? And so, um, you know, Easy Target describes what happened, I think. And then, um, you know, it's basically the, the, these two songs are about this man, in this case, I guess the producer, but I think it's kind of, you know, there's some liberties taken here. Loosely based. Yeah, this man's inability to move on and get over this girl once he's realized that he's been completely used by her. So what's important about this next track, Hugh, is that the main lead singer of this next track is Robert Smith of The Cure. Who's that? Yeah. And uh, the story kind of goes, um, you know, apparently they had like a like a shared staff member um between the cure and, and and blink or the studio or something like that or the record label something like that right they didn't anticipate that he would go for it when they when they reached out to him to see if he would um join the record and the reason they didn't think that he would go for it is because of the band's reputation up to that point like they didn't think that smith would waste his time with this goofy band that runs around naked you know what i mean right but what uh what smith says is that um you know he heard a couple of their singles prior to that, right? So he couldn't see how how his singing would lend anything uh, to kind of what they do, right? But then he heard that some of the demos, they, I think they sent over some demos from the record, the new record, right? And he said that, um, you know, what he heard was fantastic. And then what he says is that, you know, he says, I, I think they suffer in a way that the cure suffered in that people weren't allowing them to become something else. If another band put that new CD out as their first album, people would go crazy. Yeah, dude. Such kind words. Yeah, and he gave them some advice. He says, nobody knows what kind of songs you are going to write in the future, and nobody knows the full potential of any band. I really like the music that you sent me. And then, of course, he joins them. And they didn't think that that his track was going to make it into the record. Apparently, like, hours before they needed to send the masters over he sent his track to them. So he didn't come into the studio and record it with them. Like he recorded it in his own studio. Wow. But anyway, um, they said that they were hearing his vocals about a song that they wrote. They said it was just like, they got goosebumps and like, it was amazing. And like, it was cool to them because it sounded like a cure song, but it was a song that they wrote. You know what I mean? It, yeah. It's, and it's such a, oh, such a good song, dude, man. Yeah. It's really cool what they did. Uh, with this, um, it's kind of like it goes from distorted guitar to acoustic guitar. Same riff. Really well done. So here we go. This is, again, this is the end of Easy Target uh, transitioning into all of this.
I got goosebumps, dude. It's a great track, man. Yeah. It's so good. Um, and yeah, there's Holly again, dude. Use me, Holly. Come on and use me. Yeah, I'm just a fucking joke to you. Yeah, what am I? Some sort of chump. But dude, those are kind of those are the kind of uh, moments that leave an impact, dude, you know. Oh yeah, dude. Can you imagine that? You're 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 you know, you're a kid, you're a teenager, or whatever, you got this you're you're crushing on this person and then Right, right over on your bike. So cruel, dude. <laughs> and they just spray you with a hose, dude. Kids, kids are the worst, man. That bike ride home, dude. Can you imagine, dude? The embarrassment, the heartbreak. He says, "I'll show you, man. I'm gonna go on and produce Blink One Two records when I'm, when I'm older." Like I said, he got the last laugh, probably. Right. I hope that Holly realizes that Easy Target and all of this is about her. Uh, me too. Me too. Anyway, um, yeah, Robert Smith. I mean, how awesome is that? Um, it's it's kind of a, um, uh, you know, the cure in the 80s was pop, right? I'm trying to draw some sort of parallel between the two. I can't do it. Well, but but I think for sure that that, that new wave sound was a huge influence on this era of, of punk, you know, or like pop punk. Yeah. So what's interesting, actually, and we're going to play the, we're gonna have to play a snippet of this cue. But there is a Cure song that the that the music was inspired by, so we should cure it up real quick and just see if we can hear any diff- any similarities. Okay. But um, according to the the guys, uh, the song "Love Cats" by the Cure Love inspired Cats. the music, which is a, a pretty well known song. You know, this is always fun to to see if you can hear uh, the influence. All right, dude. Let's play some of it. see it cut from the same cloth yeah a little bit it's kind of a yeah if you squint a little bit <laughs> so like they wrote so here's this is what i wanted to know and i just i just found out uh, i looked it up i wanted to know did they have in mind hey let's see if robert smith will join us on a track and then they wrote the song yeah but no it sounds like they were inspired by the love cats when they wrote the song and then they said hey why don't we see if robert smith will sing it right well, that's even cooler then. That is cool. Because, I mean, that, that that's why it's interesting that they're like, I, I guess it's not. When they're like, 
you know, it sounds like a Cure song. Well, yeah, but that's because they were inspired by a Cure song. But then you get Robert Smith to sing it, and then a song that was inspired by the Cure suddenly becomes a Cure song, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's the cool thing about music, dude. I I, I love finding out who who influences bands and what they're drawing from. Yeah, and like you said, I think the Cure probably was a huge influence on 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 these guys and and other uh, pop punk and and probably um, you know emo bands and, and post-punk bands from from for sure from 2000s and stuff yeah now uh, according to um this uh what i'm reading here the song i miss you was also inspired by that song the love cats so there you go wow so you must have been listening to a lot of a lot of the cure back then yeah yeah exactly well that's all we got brother yeah that's it that that's uh, yeah again what a great record man um I know I've talked about this before, but you know, the band actually did break up after this record. So yeah, probably a lot of people thought that this was the record that they were going to go out on. And I think speaking for myself, at least I kind of wish that this was the last record that they put out because I haven't really enjoyed much of what else they, they, they put out after this, but for a while, this was the last Blink-22 record and they really did go out on a high note. You know what I mean? They wrote such a great record and that was the last record that they put out and i thought that was a great way to end it and the fact that it was such a like labor of love and yeah and that they put all you know it's all them that's it's just so so personal yeah yeah and that's to me i mean i i kind of like referring to this as the self-titled blink 2 record i know that that's not what they wanted it to be referred to as but i feel like it's a good way because it was so personal because they had their hands all over it and made all of the decisions it you know it makes sense to, to 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 refer to this as the Blink-22 record, the self-titled record. Not just untitled. Yeah, this is who they are, you know? They wanted to let the, the music speak for itself, and it sure it sure as hell does, It does. Man. It definitely does, yeah. Yeah. So it took them a year to record uh, for several reasons. Like, they had to, you know, move to a different studio. Travis Barker actually went on tour with the Transplants during the recordings, and we saw that. We saw tour, that, <laughs> yeah. They opened for Foo Fighters. We saw Cave-In. yeah. And the transplants, yeah, and food fires open for food in fighters. one show, yeah. There was nothing he could do about it. You know, the tour was happening, and he's the you know he's the drummer and the transplants. He was already spreading his wings and starting to collaborate with other people. And yeah, stuff, and know? not too long after this, or maybe during the same time, Tom was starting to write his own stuff, and he later did Boxcar Racer. Yeah, you know, it sounds like this is just the natural. How else would this have, you know? If you think about it, you read between the lines, you hear what they're saying about how they were tired of the box that they were put in as Blink-22, so they put this record out. Obviously, they were all probably just trying to, wanting to stretch themselves and, and, and explore other creative outlets, you know what I mean? And, and so it makes sense that they, they broke up out after this record. I'm just really happy that they put this record out because we got to hear, to me at least, like what true musicians they were right like what what did they do when they really stretched themselves when they really wanted to experiment and and make decisions on their own and take themselves out of the the box that we all put them in you know what i mean yeah and when they weren't uh crunched for time you know there wasn't any yeah. pressure and i just love the fact that travis stuck around and me too and helped out in this in the songwriting process and me too. that's really cool I think it makes it that much more special yeah i bet you we wouldn't have gotten that track which one was it where it's oh, just dude. drums you're talking about the awesome little interlude? Maybe we close with that song. Yeah. Good call, dude. I love that. Yeah, trick. what is it? The Fallen interlude. Yes. Yeah. It's so cool, dude. I bet you if they, you know, when they sat down to uh, plan out these records, the ones they put out before this one, they probably never thought to do a, a drum track. I wish I looked into it, man. I'm so curious about Sick Jackin. Okay, there's another guy named Sick Jackin, hip-hop artist. Uh, maybe he helped lay down, you know, and produce uh, that song because it's different, dude. And yeah. like the guitar is, it's not, it, nothing about the Fallen interlude is punk at all. It's, you know, it's an instrumental interlude. Yeah. But it feels kind of like a hip hop produced song. It's so cool, dude. I've always loved the Fallen interlude. And if it, if I remember correctly, it features a lot of Travis, right? Oh, yeah. Lots of drum fills and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Really cool. So, you know, what's interesting, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. So, in that documentary, Travis is talking about, I, you know, I have to leave. I have to go on tour. 
so he laid down a bunch of drum beats. He laid down a bunch of drum fills in hopes that they would be able to, you know, grab a drum fill from here or grab a beat that he did, you know, because they still were working on songs. So he just left them with a, lo- a bunch of beats, hoping that they could, you know, make songs from them. So maybe maybe part of or all of this little interlude is just the one of the beats that he left behind, you know? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. That's a great way to, to close us out, to really bring home the fact that this is a totally different Blink. Yeah. And it's just this was their last statement of music for a while, you know? Yeah. So they went on hiatus as a group, um, but they've put out three records since then. Um, the most recent was a couple of years back. But yeah, anyway, what a great record. Um, it really is. It's a start to finish record. I know we say that a lot, but um, it's just under an hour long. As you heard from the songs that we played, there's a lot of different things happening on this record. A lot of really cool things that they experimented with. Yeah, so give it a listen. All the way through, it's definitely worth a a, a playthrough. Yeah, if you if you thought in your head, oh, Blink One and Two, those guys just sing about prepubescent stuff and like diarrhea and boners, this record uh, will probably change your perception of them if you if you had never listened to it before. So check it out. This is the untitled Blink One and Two record, probably often uh, referred to as the self titled record. But uh, anyway, all right, Q, that's all we got for these guys. On our 182nd episode, that means we're coming up on 200. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to do something. I, I don't believe it. Dude. We're gonna have to do something special for that one. Yeah, we need to, we need to do some thinking on that. Yeah, we got to do something fun. But next week, we're gonna cover Block Party and their album Silent Alarm that came out in I want to say probably around this time. Dude, what was it? Early 2000s, 2005. I'm super stoked about this, dude. Yeah, this is such a great record. So this is so funny because like uh, I, I've been watching this Netflix series that I highly recommend to everybody listening to this show called This Is Pop. It's great, man. It's a little mini series on pop music. So there's an episode on uh, Britpop from, from the 90s. So it talks about mainly Blur and Oasis, right? There's, a, there's an episode on um, all the boy bands and stuff, right? So they kind of take different topics about pop music in general so there's an episode on auto-tuned like the auto-tune craze and stuff like that nice i'll have to check it out yeah i've seen it in my in my feed so yeah there's an episode on like music festivals and how that the basically the history of music festivals and they interviewed the lead singer of black party so didn't think i mean i haven't seen or heard from that guy in a long time and there he was on a documentary and we had already talked about covering them next so that was kind of serendipitous as it's a sign bro it is a sign so yeah that's gonna be great man you want to talk about some killer riffs on that record dude yeah the drummer's insane um yeah yeah the riffs are the riffs are killer i love his his voice and his his lyrics are dope i'm stoked dude i can't wait to listen to this yeah dude so yeah that'll be next week block parties silent alarm and then we'll we'll be bringing another what you heard episode after that that's right and then, yeah, who knows after that, man? We'll just keep this train rolling. That's all we can do, man. Just keep rolling. That's all we can do. We've been rolling for 182 episodes. What have we covered? How? It's it's <laughs> kind of it's kind of crazy. <laughs> but that's why you know, just about every episode, there's a moment where we can say, "Oh yeah, go back and listen to our episode on that band." You know what I mean? Yeah. Or go listen to our. You know, I dropped that band on a what you heard. You know what I mean? We're getting to that point where we can. Just about reference any band can tie back to some episode, probably, right? Because we've done Blink before. Go back and listen to our episode on MF of the State because we've talked about this band before, right? Yeah, and when you get to that section of our episodes, that was our back to school, dude. So we covered No Doubt. We covered Phantom Planet. We, we dove into some uh, like emo pop from the early 2000s. There's a lot of great episodes yeah. Around that time. That's right. So I was going to bring this up, actually, now that we're closing out here. Um, that is something that we're going to try to start doing with our Twitter feed is start linking back to old episodes with bands that we think you would like, either bands in the same vein or previous episodes where we've cover- covered an artist, just to share some more music that we've covered and, and let you listen to older episodes uh, in hopes that 
that you will discover some some albums and artists from us that you've never heard before at no filler podcast jump on there and yeah at least we're going to try to post at least two or three times a week uh linking back to old episodes that's uh one place you can find us you can also find us on the pantheon podcast network uh we are part of a ever-growing family of music-centered podcasts happy to be part of the group that's pantheonpodcasts.com and we'd also like to thank akg for supporting the show and for letting me rock these dope ass comfy headphones and speak sweet nothings into this awesome microphone cube uh if people wanted to get their hands on that exact pair of headphones and microphone uh, what how could they do that i mean how how what what would you call it if you were to like try to find this online i mean i would probably type in something like um like podcasters essentials kit yeah yeah something like that in fact you could type that exact thing into google akg podcasters essentials kit you can get your hands on the exact pair of headphones and microphones that quentin himself uses week in and week out on this podcast if you're thinking about starting a podcast it's a no-brainer it also comes with the light version of the latest ableton live which is what i use to piece together the episodes it's an awesome uh music editing software program big fan of it i've been using it for years and it comes with a light version of the software in the podcaster essentials kit uh, yeah, jump on there and take a look at these beauties, man. This These headphones, this mic, they're just gorgeous, man. And these headphones, no joke, the comfiest headphones I've ever worn. Love this mic to death. Yeah, so there you go. Everything you need to get started. That's the AKG Podcaster Essentials Kit. All right, Q. Um, so like we said, next week, Block Party's Silent Alarm. That's going to be an awesome episode. So tune in next week for that. In the meantime, so we're going to close out with, again, like we said earlier, the Fallen interlude from Blink-22's untitled record. And uh, yeah, we'll talk at you guys next week. My name is Travis. And I'm Quentin. Bye-bye. achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom is dead. My mom is right there. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. 
In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.